reporting. Hey, I'm on a supervised visitation for a court-ordered visit, and something really weird has happened. The kids went into the house, and the parent, the biological parent, whose name is Josh Powell, will not let me in the door. What should I do? What's the address? It's 8119, and I, I think it's 89th. Um, I, I don't know what the address is. That's pretty important for me to know. Um, sorry, I can't. Let me get my car and see if I can if I can find it. I'm this nothing like this has ever happened before at um, these visitations. So I'm really um, shocked. And I could hear one of the kids crying, but he still wouldn't let me in. Okay, it is uh, one. Oh, I have it here. You can't find me by GPS? No. Okay, it is, um, but I think I need help right away. He's, he's on a very short lease with CSHS and CPS has been involved. And this is the craziest thing. He looked right at me and closed the door. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. I'm just waiting to know where you are. Okay. It's 8119 189th Street, Court East, 2 Allop, 98375. And I'd like to pull out of the driveway because I smell gasoline and he won't let me in. You want to pull out of the driveway because you smell gasoline, but he won't let I you... I smell... He, he won't let me in. He won't let you out of the driveway? He won't let me in the house. Hi guys, welcome to our second Patreon-only episode. Of course, we just wanted to start by saying a huge thank you for supporting us on Patreon. It really means a lot to us that you guys enjoy what we're doing. So before we start, I just want to give a shout out to our Patreons, Andrew, Clooney, Jess, Caitlin, Lauren, Meg, Natalie, Pepper, Rebecca and Sean. You guys are the bomb. Thank you so much. They are some cool names. They are cool Clooney. names. That's an yeah. awesome name. Pepper. Love it. Today's bonus episode is a case that comes from West Valley City in Utah in the United States. It is the disappearance of Susan Powell. And this case is extremely tragic in so many ways. In 1981, Chuck and Judy Cox welcomed a beautiful daughter to their family. They named her Susan. The devoutly Mormon family consisted of Chuck and Judy and their four beautiful daughters, of which Susan was the third. Chuck and Judy had met when they were young. Chuck would support his family by pursuing a career as a pilot and flight instructor, while Judy stayed home and took care of the home and raised their daughters. Susan Cox had a happy childhood. She was described as a happy and bubbly person who loved to be surrounded by all things beautiful. After she finished school, she went on to the Jean Juarez Academy of Beauty in Seattle with the dreams of one day owning and operating her own beauty salon. She was a beautiful girl with stunning blue eyes, dark hair and a big beaming smile. As a young adult, Susan and her sisters would often attend singles events at the Latter-day Saints Centre, which was a place where people from the same religion could meet potential future husbands and wives. This was where she would meet her future husband, Josh Powell. When the two met, Susan was just 19 years old to Josh's 26 years old. It appeared that Josh Powell had qualities that made him good husband material for Susan, including the impression he gave that he strongly believed in the Mormon faith. As far as Susan was concerned, this was the mature, stable man she had been looking for. 
There are many accounts of Josh from those early days that describe him as having a lack of social skills and an inability to fit in with other people from the Latter-day Saints events. He was known to speak very highly of himself and showed very little interest in anything that anyone else had to say. While Chuck and Judy Cox didn't think that Josh was the best match for Susan, they also didn't want to push her away by being critical of her new love interest. It's a fine line for parents, that it one. It is, it is. You want to support your child, you want to keep them in your life, but sometimes you can see things that the kids can't yeah, see. Yeah, and you know that as soon as you mention a negative thing, it's totally going to push them closer to the yeah, love interest. absolutely. Josh's upbringing wasn't as ideal as Susan's. When he was born, his parents were both Mormon, but as he grew up, his father, Stephen Powell, began to turn away from the religion and encouraged his children to do the same. His father was reportedly very controlling and verbally abusive towards his mother, Terry, and eventually she filed for divorce. She was so concerned about Stephen's growing obsession with the occult. When the couple divorced, Stephen reportedly tried to turn the children against Terry, so as you can imagine, the implications of that for Josh and his siblings was huge. As a young man, Josh was very self-involved and also had a tendency to lie about his achievements. He told the Cox family that he had a business administration degree from Washington University, but that he hadn't enjoyed studying because he was smarter than all of his teachers. When this was later checked out for verification, Washington University had no record of Josh Powell ever attending the school for any course. Susan saw Josh as someone she could marry and start a family with. To a young woman who didn't have much life experience, he appeared stable. He had his own apartment, a car, and a job. Chuck and Judy Cox never felt like Josh Powell was quite right. One event that stuck out for them was when they threw a bridal shower for Susan. It was just her girlfriends and female family members in attendance, and suddenly Josh burst into the room wearing women's clothing and a full face of makeup. They thought it was like he couldn't handle a day being about Susan, and he had to try and steal the limelight from her. That's yeah, how weird, how is, weird that? is that? Yeah, how weird is that? I mean, it's like kind of funny if he just did it and he was like, hey, here I am. And then he left and it was totally a joke. But if he hung around and... Yeah. And I think it's like the ongoing pattern of behavior as well. Like you kind of add it all together and it's quite creepy. Because that on its own is like a little bit funny. Yeah. But like in this like series of events, plus the fact that he didn't just leave. Yeah. It's really weird. So Chuck and Judy continued to have a bad feeling about the couple getting married. But Susan maintained that she loved Josh. The pair married on the 6th of April 2001 at the Portland Latter-day Saints Temple in Oregon. Susan wore a white satin wedding gown and both her and Josh reportedly seemed very happy. The wedding events were also the first time the Cox and Powell families would meet each other properly. The Cox's impression of Josh Powell's father, Steve, was not great. Even though Chuck and Judy Cox were picking up the tab for the wedding costs, Steve Powell would constantly be complaining about small expenses, like the cost of his meal at the rehearsal dinner. They were also shocked when Josh's mother reportedly asked them after the wedding if she could take all the leftover wedding decorations and food for another wedding reception she had planned for Josh and Susan in Washington. Judy Cox told her no, and apparently Terry couldn't understand why. That's quite strange as well, I feel. See, to me, is like obviously that I brought that up as it's a little bit of a strange point, but to me, I'm kind of like, if they're having another wedding, do the Cox family really need the stuff again? Yeah, I, know I so you... knew that you would see it that way, but to me, 
I personally find it weird because the Cox family have bought everything for this wedding, which obviously in their mind was the sole wedding. Mm. And then the Powell family's kind of gone behind their back to create another wedding and they're not even going to buy stuff for it. They're just going to take everything from the first wedding and recycle it. I get that it's not right, but I also think what are they going to do with all that wedding stuff anyway? Yeah, I, yeah. I personally find it kind of weird. Yeah, it's. I think it's not weird. I think it's not right, but it's, it's not that weird. Josh Powell struggled to hold down a job in the years after he and Susan got married. While he appeared to quite easily get a job, he would often be fired within a short amount of time after he started. He would frequently point out to his employers that they were doing things wrong, which rubbed many of them up the wrong way. Meanwhile, Susan maintained steady employment as a hairstylist. Between the two of them, they were barely making enough money to make ends meet. At some point, they could no longer afford to keep their apartment and had to move in with Stephen Powell, Josh's father, to keep afloat. The Powell house was already crammed with Josh's sister, Alina, and two brothers, John and Michael, already living there with Stephen. A sheet was hung in the dining room to section off an area as a room for the newlyweds to sleep. There was obviously a huge lack of privacy. Susan felt uncomfortable around her new father-in-law. He would make sexual comments towards her and stare at her, which made already an uncomfortable situation even worse. How creepy is that? So creepy. Your father-in-law. That's just gross. Soon after they moved in, Susan and Josh both took positions as assistant managers in training at an aged care facility. Luckily for them, the position came with an apartment and meals included. As time went on, Susan continued to excel at the job and was praised for being a great worker. Josh didn't fit into the role well and was eventually fired, forcing the couple to move again. Susan began to grow concerned that maybe Josh just couldn't get along with people. He always seemed to believe that all of his jobs and employers were beneath him. When Susan fell pregnant with the couple's first child in 2004, they moved to Utah to have a fresh start. Their son, Charlie Braden Powell, was born on January 19, 2005. While Susan was in labour with Charlie, Josh played on his laptop and backed up his hard drive in the corner of the hospital room. He blatantly ignored what his wife was going through. Susan's parents who were also in attendance at the labour, were furious about this. When baby Charlie arrived, Josh proudly held his son. Knowing what we know now about Josh, it has been speculated that maybe he saw baby Charlie, his son, as his possession. He's an extremely narcissistic man. He sounds very narcissistic. The Powells were able to buy a home in West Valley City, which is nearby to Salt Lake City, Utah. They were able to make friends with other members of the Mormon church. They quickly began to settle into their life in their new town. The couple picked up jobs and an investment brokerage. In the usual pattern, Susan quickly fitted in as an employee, and Josh quickly ended up being fired. Josh decided he would become a self-employed real estate agent and use the couple's savings to purchase the things that real estate agents need to set up a business. Josh was initially able to sell some houses and the real estate market was going really well at the time. Josh thought it would be a good idea for Susan to become a real estate agent too. Josh also suggested that the couple should take out life insurance policies on each other in case one of them was to die so the other could care for their growing family. Never a good sign. No, not (laughs) at all. In 2006, Susan fell pregnant again and on the 2nd of January 2007, she gave birth to her second son, Brayden Timothy Powell. While it was reported that Josh could treat Susan quite poorly and cruelly, he was said to have shown love and affection for his sons. 
Not long after Braden's birth, Josh was forced to declare bankruptcy after making some poor business decisions in his real estate business. Josh had maxed out all of the couple's credit cards and they had debt collectors chasing them up. Susan was left to pick up the pieces and take on the role as the main breadwinner of the family. Her dreams of being a stay-at-home mum and working part-time in a home salon were being destroyed because Josh could not keep a steady job. The couple was forced to approach Susan's parents, Chuck and Judy, for a loan to keep them afloat and pay their mortgage. Josh continued to pick up and lose jobs regularly, while Susan maintained a steady job. The financial crisis of 2008 meant that Josh was unable to sell any more houses and the real estate business crumbled as well. Not only was Josh not able to hold down a job, but he was also extremely controlling of everything Susan did. If she was going shopping, she had to explain to Josh exactly what she had brought and show him the receipts for confirmation. Josh would change the PIN number on their card frequently so that she couldn't access the money, even though it was her that was primarily earning it. How? That's so bad, isn't it? No, that's fucked. That's really bad. He is like red flag after red flag. So many red flags. I just feel so bad for her as well. Like she was very young when she got into this, and and that faith as well. It's not just a casual thing to get get out of. Yeah, you have to stay in the marriage and try and make it work. So sad. People who were close to Susan could see how much she was struggling to keep her family together. She was forced to grow her own vegetables in the garden so that she could feed her children properly. She wasn't allowed to drive the couple's minivan to work and was forced to ride a bicycle, even though the route to her workplace was quite dangerous and didn't contain bike lanes. She was doing her best to support her family, but as you can imagine, it was taking its toll. In the summer of 2008, Josh stayed home with the boys while Susan went to work. Susan was sure that the couple should be attending marriage counselling, but Josh refused to go, stating that he already knew what to do in the relationship. He came up with excuse after excuse to not attend counselling with his wife. Susan ended up going for a counselling session with her bishop and he agreed that the couple needed counselling. Instead of attending counselling with her, he gave Susan a list of things she needed to change in order to make their marriage work. That's, I'm just like hating on this guy so much. Yeah, me too. And it only gets worse, like, yeah. Josh also turned his back on the Mormon faith, which had originally been one of the things that the couple had had in common. He also talked poorly of the faith to the couple's children, which was upsetting to Susan as her faith was a big part of her life. Susan didn't want to get a divorce, but she was depressed in her marriage. Strangely, one of the few people from Josh's side who was sympathetic towards Susan was Stephen Powell, who stated that he could see how poorly Josh treated her, but he had ulterior motives and would use Susan's vulnerability to get close to her. Yeah, I was going to say, what is his motive? He is a creep. Yeah. Susan actually told a friend that Stephen Powell had once tried to kiss her and another time she caught him trying to spy on her getting dressed. There was an underlying impression that Stephen Powell had become obsessed with Susan. At one stage things got so bad that Susan quietly informed her friends that she had written a secret will and had hidden it safely in her desk just in case something were to happen to her. In 2009, Susan made a mental note of a date in her head. The 6th of April, 2010... This was to be the date that she would leave Josh for good if things didn't improve. On Sunday the 6th of December 2009, it was a freezing cold day and the snow was falling. One of Susan's friends, Jovanna, popped into the Powell household to visit her. Strangely, Josh made Susan and Jovanna pancakes, carefully designating specific plates to specific people. 
Soon after they finished the pancakes, Susan started feeling sick and exhausted, and she eventually vomited. Giovanna decided to leave her and let her friend rest. Before she left, she remembers Josh mentioning he was going to take the boys out to play in the snow. At approximately 2am on the 7th of December 2009, a neighbour of the Powells heard someone arguing loudly outside. She heard a man yelling, get in the car, over and over again, and a woman saying, no, you're going to hurt me if I do. The neighbour then heard a vehicle pulling onto the street. She looked out the window and saw a minivan speeding away. Although the incident troubled her, she didn't call the police. Later that morning, the 7th of December, neither Josh nor Susan turned up at work or called in sick. This was very unlike Susan, who would never miss a day without calling in. They also didn't show up to drop Charlie and Brayden off at daycare. The daycare owner tried calling them multiple times, but nobody picked up the phone. She was concerned and called Josh's mother, Terry, and sister, Jennifer, to let them know she couldn't get in touch with the couple. Jennifer and Terry couldn't manage to get hold of them either until 5.27pm that day. Initially, when Jennifer spoke to Josh, he lied and told her that he was at work. Jennifer knew that this wasn't the truth and told him so. He changed his story to say that he and the boys had been out camping. Jennifer knew something was wrong when Josh hung up on her. West City Valley Police Detective Maxwell asked to use Jennifer's phone to call Josh so that they wouldn't alarm him. The detective identified himself after Josh picked up and told Josh that he should meet the detectives at his home. When the detectives met with Josh, they asked him where he had been and why he hadn't answered his mobile phone. He said he had his phone off to preserve the battery because he didn't have a car charger. The detective immediately realised that this was a lie as he could literally see Josh's phone sitting in the car attached to a cigarette lighter phone charger. Josh was taken into the police station to be questioned further. He told police that he had taken Charlie and Brayden to a camping area to test out a new generator that he had bought. When he was asked where he thought Susan was, Josh stated, I have no idea, shrugging his shoulders. He appeared to offer very little concern about his missing wife. Josh consented to having his car and home searched by police, and upon searching, police discovered that Susan's mobile phone was in the centre console of the minivan, with the SIM card removed. Josh could not explain why this was the case. He maintained that when he left with the boys, Susan was asleep on the couch. Police were baffled why Josh would take his two- and four-year-old sons out on a camping trip at midnight in the middle of a blizzard. But Josh continued to act like it was the most natural thing in the world. When police searched the house, they noticed that the couch was wet like it had been cleaned. There were two fans directed at the couch as if to dry it off. There were also some suspicious stains on the tiled floor that would need to be tested. Susan's clothes, makeup, purse, credit card, cash, ID and keys were all still in the house, making it unlikely that she had run away from home. Not long after Susan's disappearance, police grew suspicious of Josh Powell. Not only were the couple having marital problems and financial problems, but Josh was the beneficiary to multiple life insurance policies in Susan's name, amounting to a combined total of $1.5 million. They also found out about the letter that Susan had hidden in a safe place. It was addressed to her family and friends and was carefully stapled around the edges so that nobody could easily access its contents. Inside, Susan had written that the letter was not to be shown to Josh. Susan had named the letter Last Will and Testament for Susan Powell and the letter was dated the 28th of June 2008. 
The letter stated that if anything ever happened to her, the letter owner should contact Jennifer Grave, Susan's sister-in-law. Susan also said that if she should die of something that seemed like an accident, it should be investigated, as it may not be an accident. One of Susan's work colleague's husband recalled a conversation that he had had with Josh at a work Christmas party that in the light of the recent events made him nervous. He remembered that they had talked about crime TV shows and that Josh had told him that he knew how to commit and get away with the perfect murder. He remembered Josh telling him that the perfect place to dispose of a body would be an abandoned mine shaft because it would be too dangerous for detectives to enter and search. Reportedly, there is a huge number of abandoned mines in Utah, and when police heard this, they had to admit that Josh was correct. It was too dangerous for them to search. When Chuck and Judy heard the news that Susan was missing, they were extremely concerned and devastated. They were also disturbed by how little Josh seemed to care that his wife was missing. The day after Susan was reported missing, the West Valley Police called Josh in for another interview. He was hesitant to answer any questions and asked for an attorney. Detectives noticed that not once during the interview had Josh asked a single question about the investigation and whether they had found anything about Susan's whereabouts. That's extremely suspicious. Yeah, so suspicious. Wouldn't you just be so concerned if you had no oh, idea? yeah, exactly. Detectives also carefully interviewed Josh and Susan's oldest son, Charlie Powell, who was only four years old at the time. He recalled that Susan had been with them when they left to go camping, but had not returned with them when they came home, which was obviously the opposite of what Josh had told them about her staying homesick when he had taken the boys camping. Police searched the area that Josh had told them that he had taken the boys camping in the possibility that she'd been left out there. When Josh spoke to the media, he told them that he thought it was possible that Susan had left him for another man, abandoning him and the boys, but nobody who knew Susan thought that that was a possibility. The stains on the couch and floor of the Powell residence were tested, and when the results came back, they were positive for blood, and it was Susan Powell's. As time went on after Susan's disappearance, Josh began denying Chuck and Judy Cox the opportunity to speak with Charlie and Braden, telling them that the only way they were to contact him was via email, which he would never reply to anyway. Josh eventually filed for a restraining order against Chuck Cox for domestic violence. When they'd run into each other at a store and Chuck hadn't immediately obeyed Josh's demands to leave the store. The judge didn't grant the restraining order, but it does paint a strong picture of Josh trying to isolate the boys from Susan's side of the family by any means possible. Yeah, and even though Josh does state that he said he thinks his wife ran off with someone else in um, a 2020 documentary that I watched, he said that he thinks that happened, yet she's never done that before. He just thinks that that happens because she's promiscuous. And then obviously there's Josh's dad, Stephen, backing mm. it up saying, yeah, she's extremely promiscuous. And it's just... So they've just looked for any excuse to basically make Susan look bad. Yeah, they're just making her look bad. It's disgusting. Josh sold the house he had shared with Susan in Utah and moved back to his father's house in Washington State with the boys. Everyone from Susan's side of the family couldn't understand why Josh wasn't cooperating with the police. And the weird thing was another man who actually went missing on pretty much the in a totally different state. They started Stephen and Josh started to spread rumors that that actually they were related. Uh, as and they like, run off together. Yeah. And so, of course, police couldn't find any links between these two. Yeah, it's just another excuse for them to paint Susan as the bad guy. That's right. 
Police approached Stephen Powell to consent to a search of his house, where Josh was currently residing. In their search, they discovered multiple pictures of Susan inside a locked cabinet in Stephen's bedroom. It was obvious that Susan was not aware that these photos were being taken, with some of the photos even showing Susan only partially clothed. There were also photos of naked models that had been cut from magazines with Susan's head stuck over the top and photos of Stephen Powell himself masturbating to Susan Powell's images on a TV screen. What the fuck? I know. Stephen wasn't even embarrassed by these pictures and he seemed to believe that Susan had felt the same way about him. He's one Delusional. messed up in it. Disgusting. Police had also discovered a number of journals that Susan had kept over the years that contained information about her unhappy marriage and her creepy father-in-law. Susan wrote that she thought Steve was a pedophile and that she didn't want him in their family's lives. In 2011, a woman who worked at a motel in Sandy, Utah, contacted the police to follow up on an incident she had reported some time before. The woman recalled that on the 7th of December 2009, which, if you remember, is the same day that Susan disappeared, a man and two young boys had come into the motel for breakfast. They were there at approximately 6.30am when the woman got to work. One of the little boys asked the woman, Do you know what happened to my mum? And the woman replied, No, what happened to your mum? Just before the boy could respond, another customer needed the woman's attention. And by the time she could get back to the little boy, the man was ushering the boys outside to the car park. She recognised the man and the little boys when she saw a TV story about Susan's disappearance. Obviously, this has stuck with the woman and she continued to wonder what the little boy would have said if he wasn't interrupted. As the boys got older, more information began to come from them about what happened that night. At one point, Brayden had been heard saying, Mummy's in the mine. Another time, he had said, We went camping and Mummy was in the trunk. Mummy and Daddy got out and then Mummy disappeared. When asked why his mum was in the trunk, Brayden responded that he didn't know. So sad. That's horrible. He's only like four. That's yeah. so sad. Well, he was only two at the time. Oh, wow. Little, poor little guy. Stephen Powell began to spread vicious rumours about Susan, saying that she was an exhibitionist and would purposely unchange in front of him, which of course was untrue. But it did seem as though in Stephen's sick mind, he believed that it was the truth. While the Coxes continued to campaign to keep Susan's name in the headlines, Josh and Stephen Powell had nothing but negative things to say about her. And at this point, he's still, like, just the wife. It's still his wife missing. Yeah, so it's obvious like he doesn't he's... need to yeah. go to these Like, lengths. why is he doing that? On the 25th of August, 2011, police approached the Powell house unannounced to conduct a search warrant and were greeted at the door by a naked male from the Powell family. It was disturbing because Braden and Charlie were also in the home and would be able to see this man. The family members that were home were sent to the backyard to wait while the warrant was carried out. They found sexually disturbing content on Josh Powell's computer. This included cartoons, for example, SpongeBob SquarePants, where the content had been changed to be incestual stories about children having sex with their parents. How fucked is that? That is just like, what the hell? He is sick. He's sick. They also found more disturbing content amongst Stephen Powell's possessions. Items of Susan's underwear, used tampons, and page after page in a journal containing sexual fantasies about Susan. 
There was also a song that he had written about oh, her called I Will Love You in a Secret it's Way. It's disgusting. So creepy. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah. It's really weird. Just extremely creepy. And they also found photos that Stephen Power taken of two little girls that lived in his street oh. at various stages of undress. So young children. This is Stephen or Josh? Stephen. Stephen. So it's extremely disturbing. And um, actually Stephen Power was arrested for possession of child pornography yeah. at that point. Wow. Following Stephen Powell's arrest, Charlie and Brayden were removed from the Powell household and placed with Judy and Chuck Cox. Josh was entitled to three-hour visits with the boys, supervised every Sunday morning. Josh was extremely angry. It took a while for Chuck and Judy to get the boys feeling comfortable at their house. They described it as though the boys had been programmed to behave a certain way. The social worker who was supervising the visits between Josh Powell and his sons noted that Josh did seem to be trying hard to be a good parent, but they also got the impression that he was putting on a bit of a show for them. After being evaluated by a psychologist, it was determined that Josh would need to undergo a psychosexual evaluation before he could have the boys back, and that's obviously because of the cartoons they found on the computer. This would include a deep probe into Josh's life as well as a possible plasithmograph test, what is which that? is when they hook up like a machine to the man's um, oh, really? parts and then show like images of different stimulus. So like normal stimulus that would make like a, a, a normal like man turned on, like in a naked woman or yeah. I guess naked man if they were gay. And then they'll sh- like add in like pictures of like children oh, and see like what. That's weird. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's still like a practice that takes place to this day. Okay. The psychosexual assessment was booked for the 7th to 11th of February 2012. The day before the assessment was due to begin, the boys were picked up by the social worker for their scheduled visit with Josh Powell. Reportedly, the boys were hesitant about going to their dad's house, which was out of character as they were usually excited to see Josh. Josh was renting a house in Graham, Washington. The social worker assigned to supervise the visits was a woman in her 60s who treated the boys like she was an additional grandmother. She was very emotionally involved with them. She picked them up from Chuck and Judy's house and took them to Josh's house for the visit. When they pulled up, the social worker undid their seatbelts and the boys ran to their father's house. Josh quickly opened the door just long enough for the boys to enter the house and then slammed and locked the door. Oh, how scary. I know. The social worker could hear Josh telling the boys that he had a big surprise for them. Following this, she heard Brayden cry out like he was in pain. The social worker banged and banged on the door, yelling to Josh to let her in when she smelled a familiar scent, gasoline. She ran back to her car and made a call to 911. Unfortunately, the phone operator didn't take her call seriously. There was a miscommunication between the social worker and the operator. The operator didn't seem to understand that something life-threatening may be happening. Suddenly, the whole house, with Josh Powell, Brayden and Charlie inside, burst into flames. So sad. sad. Three bodies were eventually recovered from the burnt house. The body of Josh Powell, who had taken so many secrets to the grave, and devastatingly, the little bodies of Charlie and Brayden, covered in axe wounds and holding hands. What's with the axe wounds? Why does he need to do that? He's already burning the house. Yeah, I think just to, like, disable them from being able to get away. It's horrible. And they were holding hands. That just kills me. I know. Oh, it just kills me. Amongst the absolute devastation, there is only one small bonus, 
and that is if you believe in life after death, Charlie and Brayden are now with their mother Susan. The boys were buried in a casket oh. together and farewelled at Woodbine Cemetery, where they were farewelled by 1,400 mourners. That's so good they were together in the casket. Oh, it just, it's just it's horrible. Just, oh, my God. I know. Upon police examination following the murder slash suicide, it became obvious that Josh Powell had planned the events of the day. He had given away all the boys' toys and prepared the gasoline and axe. Josh Powell had felt like the world was closing in on him, his secrets were being exposed, and the boys were getting old enough to question what had happened to their mother. He had obviously felt like this was the only way out, and sadly he chose to take the boys with him. In his death, he also took to the grave any possibility that Susan could be found and given a farewell and burial that she deserved, which is so horrible because there's three innocent people. I like All just taken down by this one by, narcissistic prick. Just kill yourself, mate. Just, yeah, kill right yourself. Back Should at have the killed yourself years ago. Can't hold down a job. You're a loser. You, you think you're so cool. Like The problem is with narcissistic people is that it, it's never their fault in their own head. Mm. Like It's everyone else's fault. I just don't get it. Even at the end, after Susan had died and he knew that he was going to plan this suicide, why bring the boys down? Well, how they described it was that he treated them like they were his possessions. Okay. So obviously if he was going to die, they had he to needed die to take too. his possessions with him. And I reckon it was out of spite against the Cox family because they so? were having a life with um, Judy yeah. and Chuck and then he couldn't handle that he's gone yeah. and he's handing over his possessions to Judy and Chuck. Yeah. I still think it's a possession thing, but I do think it's a bit out of spite. combination. I'm sure there's like a lot of mm. contributing factors. And then obviously the fact that um, the police and stuff were getting closer and yeah. closer oh, to the truth. Oh, he was going to be caught. And obviously the older that Charlie and Brain get, the more they're going to be able to talk about what yeah. happened that night. Oh, that's just so, so sad. What just a Just the most devastating case. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those ones that really like just hits. It's a hard, spot. yeah. It's yeah. hard to research and yeah, like it's sad enough. Like it's one of those things. Yeah, like you think it ends at Susan disappearing, yeah. and then you like learn more and you realize it, it just gets worse. Yeah, these poor little innocent the children, poor little boys, and Susan, and everything. Like, yeah. like he should have just killed himself at the start, and then Susan could have raised the boys. And and I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent stated anywhere, but probably Josh didn't have the best upbringing because his dad is clearly a creep. Oh, absolutely. So it's just a tragic, tragic story, that one. Yeah. So, yeah, with that, thanks, guys, for tuning into our Patreon-only episode. We hope that you found it interesting. And again, before we leave, thank you so much for your support. And, of course, until next time, please stay safe.